Well, good morning. Today is actually a very special day for me. Um, my cousin, my first cousin, Deb, um, I've, I've seen for the first time in 30 years. Uh, so it just so happened that Deb was traveling around when, at various times and they lived in Sydney when we lived up north. And, uh, but anyway, they've come over with their family, uh, Scott and Deb and Aidan, and so it's a very special thing to have them here with us this morning. I know how Scott loves attention, so that's... <laughs> a few weeks ago, if you happen to be here, uh, it was Palm Sunday. A few weeks ago, I preached a sermon here at the nine o'clock service entitled Impossible Love. It was entitled Impossible Love because it was about the cross of Jesus and it was about the fact that on that day, according to Matthew 27, the account there, every single person who talked to Jesus on that day urged him to save himself. And we kind of unpacked that idea about why would they do that? And we talked about the fact that when you are desperate, when you are like a caged animal, when you know nothing else is in front of you except your own death, the only thing that you could possibly be thinking of is saving yourself. And yet doesn't that highlight the amazing impossible love of our God? That at that moment he wasn't thinking of himself but he was thinking of us. That message was recorded, you could go listen to that sometime if you wish. Now what I wanna to do today, referring back to that sermon in hindsight, is I wanna rename that sermon Impossible Love Part One. The sermon formerly known as Impossible Love is now Impossible Love Part One. I wanna relabel it that because I wanna to talk today about Impossible Love Part Two. But all this needs a little bit of context, especially because our passage for today is a passage that at first might make you wonder, scratch your head, wonder, how's he gonna talk on this? Why has he picked this particular passage? It needs a little bit of context, and so I'm gonna give that right now. Recently, I spoke at a wedding. I had the privilege of marrying a couple who uh, are both at the seminary where I work. And when they asked me to marry them, I agreed to marry them, and then it was only after that that they dropped the bombshell on me of where they wanted me to preach from. They said, we want you to preach a sermon on Ephesians chapter five. And oh, by the way, there's gonna be a lot of non-Christians there, so we want you to target the sermon towards people who aren't Christians. And you've gotta do it in under 10 minutes. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. I'm glad I agreed to this before you gave me that information. See, because if you think about it, this is the mother of all passages, isn't it? You saw that verse. You heard that verse read yet again. Wives, submit to your husbands. And if there was any verse that was going to be smoke in the nostrils of people today who aren't Christians, let alone those who are Christians, it's going to be that particular verse. Okay, we want you to build the, rebuild the Great Wall of China in under a week. We want to solve the problem of fusion in under a month. We want you to bring world peace in under a year. I foolishly still agreed to preach. But something extraordinary happened then as I started to prepare this short 10 minute message on this passage. I started to see things in this passage that I'd never seen before. 
because I was looking at it in a completely different way. I was thinking about how would this passage sound to non-Christians? And it made me own up to some things actually about this passage, even in light of the world, etc. as we'll see in just a few minutes. But also made me see amazing things and some things hit me like a ton of bricks. So therefore, this morning, I wanna be upfront in terms of expectations. Ah, brilliant, he's speaking on Ephesians 5. He's gonna tell us about wives and husbands and marriage. Well, no, that's not gonna happen exactly. Sorry if that you're coming with those expectations. Even though we have more than 10 minutes to speak on this passage, I'm not gonna change the slant of what I originally had when I spoke on it at that wedding. And so for you, if you're here this morning and you're single, that should come as some relief. This is not just gonna be a sermon directed towards married people. In fact, I'm gonna have in the application section at the end some very important things to say about you if you are single. Now, if you're coming here this morning and you're not a Christian, well, you've come to the right place. Because the sermon was originally designed, the talk was originally designed to uh, be sensitive to and speak to those who aren't Christians. And if you're married, it really has nothing to say to you at all. <laughs> Just kidding. Obviously it does. So I hope that you're intrigued. I hope that you're excited a little bit, maybe a lot. That would be great. Because what I'm gonna talk about today is that Christian marriage is meant to be a signpost for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The passage that was read to us earlier by Rachel, frankly, is crazy controversial, and rightly so. Did you hear me? And rightly so. If you simply read it through human eyes, if you struggle to believe the impossible. You know the old saying goes, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And that saying is absolutely true. History confirms it. When a powerful man comes into power, and I use the word man very specifically here because it's usually powerful men who come into power. When a powerful man comes into power and gets absolute control, unbridled, unchecked authority, things always go badly. Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So take the category man, masculine, male, Y chromosomed, or whatever other title you might choose. Take this half of humanity, the male half, the testosterone charged half, this half that has started more wars, more fights, been involved in more egotistical power grabs, orchestrated far more atrocities than any women. Give them power simply because they are male, and what could possibly go wrong? Everything could go wrong. Just look at history. Just look at our current day, Vladimir Putin. See, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So give the man in marriage authority carte blanche, blank slate, blank check, and you will create a monster. Here then is the problem. Here's the massive problem. If you look at this humanly, if you struggle to believe the impossible. So let's just say it's straight. And maybe some people are feeling uncomfortable right now. That's okay. Let's just say it's straight. These are the facts. Don't try to deny it. Own up to it. Well, no, no, you know, because 
men have a better ability to deal with this kind of pressure of egotism, it doesn't go to their head as badly as women. Sorry, what planet are you living on? Does that sound as dumb to you as it sounds to me? Even biology would say that a woman who bears children, who has a nurturing spirit, therefore, might do a better job of being compassionate when it comes to leading. So I have confessed up. This seems upside down. And where does that leave us? It leaves us wondering what God's up to, doesn't it? What's he doing? Has he made a mistake? Well, God doesn't make mistakes. Has he gone to sleep at the wheel? Well, God doesn't go to sleep at the wheel. So what's up? What's the story in all of this? If giving power to one party, the man no less, means disaster, then what's going on? And here we come to the impossible part. Christian marriage is meant to be shockingly impossible because the point is that it's illustrating the impossible. Someone, God, has already taken absolute power and used it to serve absolutely. See, Jesus is God. No time to prove that. Just gotta say it, Jesus is God. And so what does God do? What does our God do? He chooses to get stuck in being a human, which is exactly what Muslims struggle with so much. Jesus being God. Because how is it that the God of the universe could come down and restrict himself to being human? I think secretly many of us struggle with that as well. We would say we believe in the divinity of Christ, but do we fully? You see, this was no power grab. It couldn't possibly be, duh. It was the opposite of a power grab. It was God taking his absolute power and serving absolutely. The easiest way for, for things to go would be any other way. For God to be consistently God, consistent in his godness, for him to stay on high, it would have been nothing easier than that, than him coming down, as one preacher once said, and taking on eyebrows and kneecaps to serve. Nothing could have been more possible and appropriate. But God chose the way of impossible love. See, let's think about this again. Let's dig down on it. How was Jesus born? Impoverished parents, cattle trough, dislocated family. You know the story. There's no power grab in that. God is signaling his intentions right from the word go. It's not like he steps down from the highest place to the highest place in humanity. That would be appropriate. But he steps down to the absolute lowest place. We're all in, baby. Then Jesus grows up with his family, the same family, still impoverished. And what happens when he gets old enough to branch out on his own? He hangs out with needy people all the time, draining people, people who cannot help themselves, and he serves them completely, even though sometimes they don't appreciate him. Remember the nine lepers who didn't thank. He served others and he never served himself. 
you remember the story when the devil tempts Jesus in the desert? He's tempting Jesus to use his miraculous powers to care for himself. But in fact, he refuses to do that. And if you look through the whole life of Jesus, Jesus never uses his God superpowers back to serve himself. It is always one-way traffic. It is always away from himself, the power to serve other people. And then, of course, he gives up his own life, not thinking of himself again, but thinking of us, like I talked about in the other sermon. He pays the ultimate price for rebellion. How, is, how difficult is it when you're in a relationship and you are the offended party to actually be the one to come back and make things right? Isn't that so, so difficult? That is exactly what God has done. What a God we have. What an incredible God. A God who humbles himself to serve us. And so you see, to just put this rather blithely, all Christian marriage is, all, that's a big statement, all Christian marriage is, is a modeling of the extraordinary. A modeling of the impossible. Of a love that gives up its authority to serve completely others. If you look at the passage closely when it's talking about the way husbands are meant to live, that's exactly how it is described. In fact, the passage does not say ever, husbands, subject your wives to yourself. There is never the flexing of the muscle, the forcing of power, the never the use of power back to itself. There's always the pouring out of power to serve other people. And that then becomes a model of the impossible love that God had for us. There's actually another impossible part in the story which becomes entirely plausible in light of such love. And that is that human willful people would be willing to submit to somebody else. And there we see the Weiss role in the Broadway production. You see, what I'm saying here is, and what I think this passage is telling us, is that Christian marriage is a signpost for the gospel, plain and simple. And this is so good because so much today, people are saying, aren't they, we want to see people who walk the walk, who talk, not just talk the talk. And so what this is telling us is that Christian marriage is God's way of having the gospel walk its walk, of it being incarnate in the flesh in every Christian marriage. A signpost has got to stand out, doesn't it? You know, these days, the plants are kind of growing back, and I don't know if you've noticed, they're growing back over some of the signs, and you don't necessarily see the signs or the, uh, where, where things are happening. A sign doesn't work unless it stands out. And it's actually the impossibility of Christian marriage that points to the impossible love of God, that shouts out to the world the gospel of Jesus Christ. If a man is affected by impossible love, by the Spirit of God coming in, it becomes possible for him to do the impossible. If a person has seen the sacrifice of Jesus in their life, 
then that person, that man, is able by the power of the Spirit living in him to do the impossible. And when a woman has been so affected by the gospel too in marriage, she is able to submit and know that she is not gonna be crushed, know that she is gonna become more strong, more powerful, more confident, more alive, more the person that she should be because it is all one-way traffic in terms of him thinking of her. Isn't this what God does for us? It is, it's what we've just seen. And what happens when Christian marriage gets lived the way it should be lived, the gospel gets preached. And this is so good. Here's my point. Maybe we've been struggling in marriage itself because we see it as too much of a private affair. This is all about, let's do what God says and then things will work out the best. We'll get blessed and everything will go fantastic. Yeah, well, yes. But if you stop and think about it, maybe there are actually easier ways to do this. And we kind of say, well, God's way is always the best way and you know, if we try any other way. But you know, actually, because we're fallen, maybe if we kind of dumbed this down a little bit, maybe if we kind of withdrew and just made everything equal, maybe actually fallen people might do a better job. But then the gospel doesn't get preached, does it? The only way for the gospel to get shouted out is for people to look and say, that's not possible. That can't be done. And that then becomes a witness to say, actually, you're right. And what it shows is a God who shows impossible love. I think that this is a powerful impetus for us who are Christian husbands. Maybe you're tired of giving up yourself. It's tiring, right? It's, it's painful. It's, if you're really giving up your own will to serve 100%, to seek the good for your wife to make her holy, it's hard work. Especially if she doesn't want to be holy. Let's be frank. That's a Chinese puzzle right there, isn't it? And maybe you are tired, just desperately tired of showing self-sacrificial love. What this passage tells you is press in one more time to be the gospel. And maybe then, this is the powerful impetus that's needed in it for a Christian wife who is tired of being gracious to her overbearing husband. What do you do? You press in one more time and become the gospel. 1 Peter chapter three actually picks up this very point. It says, if a Christian woman is married to a non-Christian husband, what's she meant to do? She's meant to win him over without words. She's meant to live out this picture. And what's actually happening, therefore, is that the gospel is being brought in in her very actions into that marriage to transform her husband. Now, for the singles here, I promised that I would say something to you. I think this can actually help as well because, in a sense, it can deconstruct the romantic images of marriage. If a married couple are really about the gospel, then maybe you can be about the gospel. That's what 1 Corinthians chapter seven says. 
Paul actually says that a person who's single is able to devote themselves to the work of the gospel more. And so maybe seeing marriage is not just an escape from loneliness, but rather something that the Lord has instituted for the gospel might circle back around to challenge you about the gospel too. And for non-Christians here today, for those who aren't Christians, what's in it for you? Well, I'm just gonna go ahead and tell you what I said at the wedding and then it'll all be clear. See, at the wedding I said, Nathaniel and Blake's relationship, and that's, that was the couple, is already good. And you're probably struggling as you look at it to believe that anything I'm saying here is the way they've been functioning already. No, no, that couldn't be true. But here's what's gonna happen. They're gonna get married and their marriage is gonna go great and you're gonna see Blake become more confident and you're gonna see Nathaniel uh, serving her and you're gonna see their relationship grow and grow and the more that happens, the more you're going to be tempted to think, nah, they're not doing it this way. And what I said to that group is, don't believe it. Don't kid yourself. Let their relationship bug you. And that's what I would like to say to those of you who aren't Christians here today. Look at somebody else who is a Christian and look and, and is truly living this out. And look at that somebody who has a fantastic relationship, a fantastic marriage where you don't even know who's in charge because there is such giving and serving and it all just comes together so perfectly. And what I wanna to say to you this morning is, let it bug you too because it is a picture of the gospel. Well, there's lots more I could have said this morning, lots more that we still could say, but I don't want to distract from the central point that I've wanted to make and that I have made and that hopefully you take away from this. Married people, lean in on being the gospel. Single people, Take that as a sign to be more soberly about the gospel yourself. And for those who aren't Christians, look around. See the impossible love of God as displayed in Christian marriage and believe in the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the impossible love that you have shown. We thank you for that owning up to the fact that it's really not possible for someone to take absolute power and serve, and yet that's exactly what you did. That that is really the fullness of the picture of the gospel. That that could be manifest in marriage. Lord, it sobers us. It challenges us, it prods us, it provokes us, those of us who are married. And may it be so. Lord, for those who are single, we pray that putting the gospel up in lights would challenge those people as well. And Lord, for those people who are searching or maybe not even searching, who don't know you yet, we pray that this might provoke them to look and see and believe in the God of impossible love. It's in your name we pray. Amen.